0: Good jazz fans, welcome to Jabber Jazz, your home for ad free Utah Jazz basketball content from a fan's perspective and introducing an analytical emphasis. I'm your host, Adam Bushman, and today we are doing the final draft board um, ahead of the NBA draft, which is coming this Thursday. So I'm going to run through the risers and fallers on my own personal board. We're going to orient ourselves to the uh, industry expectation or the industry board's consensus. And finally, we're going to execute um, a final mock draft where I'll be inserting myself into a simulation of the draft on behalf of the Utah Jazz and kind of talk through some process and some of my thoughts as the draft unfolds. And that kind of gives us an idea where where we might be reacting to things on draft night. So if you like what we're doing, please consider subscribing to the podcast, either on YouTube or via the podcatcher of your choice. Uh, We appreciate a follow via Twitter. You can find us at Jabbert underscore jazz. And finally, leave a review or a comment that always helps things kind of spur along and is a really great way for us to engage with you all. Well, without further ado, let's Jabber Jazz. Alright, if you've checked into some of my previous videos, you know a little bit of the process that I've went through in creating my personal uh, NBA Draft Big Board. Uh, I look at some of the measurables, height, weight, length, BMI, etc. I look into the positions both on offense and defense. Uh, I kind of try to gauge what my impression of them as far as how they carry themselves, what impact they're making, uh, how defenses or opposing offenses react to them being on the court, that type of thing. I also look at some physical traits, their athleticism, uh, agility, you know, the feel they have for the game, and uh, then offensive and defensive traits, shooting, handle, um, passing, and then on defense, how, how well they perform on ball, off ball, how prone are they to generating positive activity, positive disruption on the defensive end, and I try to look at some comparisons to some NBA forerunners, uh, though that is not my, my strong suit. So sometimes I, I depend on others for that. But ultimately, doing so, going through this approach, helps me create my tiers and then the ordered ranking of prospects within those tiers. And now a quick little disclaimer on, on those tiers and those orders Ultimately, how I've kind of how I kind of see it is in the short term, I don't have a ton of confidence that any prospect is going to be better or worse than another. If we're looking at the first two years of their rookie deal, um, there's, I don't really have a ton of confidence, even that, say, Victor Wembanyama is going to far outshine the rest of the rookie class in the first two years. It's conceivable that uh, the games played, that the roster around Victor, um, perhaps uh, some injuries uh, could limit him in the short term and give the impression that the others in the draft um, are performing better than him. However, my tears demonstrate the confidence that I have in the long term, right, Um, the rest of their rookie deal and on into the next contracts that the average player in a tier will outshine or will be better than the average player in a tier below. So when I have Victor Webanyaman in his own tier, that's suggesting, hey, long term, I have a lot of confidence that he will be better than the average player in the tiers below him. And then the order within each tier, I look at as kind of my personal preference for the prospects within a tier. I can't say for certain, or really have any confidence long-term that players within a tier are going to be better or worse than others. It's just my personal preference. So when I have Taylor Hendricks at the end of my tier three, and I have Jairus Walker at the start of my tier three, I don't I don't have a ton of long-term confidence that either will be better than the other. But what I am saying is I prefer Jairus Walker to Taylor Hendricks. So that's a little bit of a disclaimer on how I view tiers, ordering prospects, and what the short-term and long-term outlook that those kind of suggest in a way. So let's dive into it really quick. And like I said, we're going to go through my tiers, my order prospects uh, for the first six tiers. Why for six? Because that will generally be the consensus um, prospects who could go in the first round and thereby including the Jazz uh, final pick there, 28. And, uh, and there on later, I have some ordered prospects, but uh, I'm not as confident in their ranking and I haven't been fully inclusive of all the prospects who could be drafted uh, in this draft. Just Just press for time. So let's dive in. Uh, Tier 1, no changes. Still have uh, Victor Wembanyama. He's number one in the industry, number one previously. So let's go to the next one. I have Brandon Miller. Again, he occupies my two spot. Um, Scoot Henderson is at number three for me. Uh, The industry kind of has them both at two or three. Um, Not a ton of consensus there. Ultimately, I I love them both. I think they're they're incredible. My own personal blend of metrics, as I've I've discussed so far, kind of rates them as equal prospects. And so I ceded the second spot to Miller based on on the position and the height tend to be a little more valuable um, and sought after in the league. And but but that's kind of in a way that's, that's a little subjective and, and just kind of my own personal preference. These two occupy tier two for me. And so there's, in my opinion, long-term, I can't say one or the other is going to be better, but if I had a preference again, I'm, I would probably go with Miller, for example. So, uh, Brandon Miller at two, Scoot Henderson at three for me, really close to industry consensus. Now let's talk tier three. Um, here we do get uh, at least one small change. Uh, I still have Jairus Walker at number four. Uh, that is a little higher than the industry uh, suggests, though started seeing him a lot at five to the Detroit Pistons, so that is pretty interesting. Then I have Cam Whitmore at five. He is the general consensus five. Um, for Detroit, it's usually Walker or Whitmore there. Um, I previously had him at five as well. Uh, Soar Thompson, consistent with the industry at six. Amen. Thompson I have at seven, a little lower than industry, who have him at four. Uh, I, I think I'm just a little more worried about the shot. Uh, I still think he could be an incredible player without it. There are some team dependencies that I think, I, I don't think you just stick him on any team and he's Fantastic. I I think he's going to depend a little bit on where he goes, but I I think he's got all the potential in the world. And and just given the concerns over the shot, that's why I prefer him kind of in the middle of this tier uh, and less to some of the others. Uh, Next at 8, I have Anthony Black, um, just uh, right around where the industry has him. Uh, Cason Wallace I have at 9, and the industry has kind of put him right around twelve. Uh, I see Kason as basically a surefire, um, a surefire contributor, uh, long-term NBA vet. I think he's got excellent foundation, in every skill you want, and uh, there is some history, some precedents for Kentucky guards outperforming their draft position. And so I've got him at nine, and I feel pretty dang good about it. And then wrapping up the. The tier three for me, excuse me. I have Taylor Hendricks at 10. Um, As I mentioned, all of these players I like a lot. Uh, It's just their order based upon some of my preference uh, is all. And you'll notice that one player in particular has fallen out. Uh, of this of this area, and that is Gigi Jackson. When we get to where I, I have settled on him, I'll explain a little bit of why I decided to lower him in my rankings, but that takes us through tier three. And tier fours were a lot of the, <laughs> where a lot of the mix-up kind of took place uh, in this draft range. And Tier 4 is a big one. Um, It stretches from uh, 11 to 25. Now you might say, "Why, why don't you kind of divide these, divide this tier? It's tough because on one hand, there is kind of an area, probably right around 18, where I do kind of have a natural division if I kind of am honest with myself. But that would suggest, if per my approach to these rankings, if I were to divide the tier right around there, that would suggest that I have confidence in the group ahead, in that 11 to 18. I have confidence that long term they'll outperform the uh, the next group, and I don't know that I can't that I'm that confident, and so I've left them in this big tier, even though it is a little unorthodox. So at 11, I have Jalen hood Um, I previously had him at 12. Industry kind of has him at 15. Ultimately, how I kind of view it is um, I buy the defense from him. And furthermore, his size is, is excellent for how he approaches the game on both ends. And lastly, I, someone brought up that he's so mid-range capable that when he's in the pick and roll, he could be a major weapon in the playoffs. When teams are you know, playing their drop big defense, when they're going over on the screen, they're trying to pigeonhole you into these mid-range shots. And when you have someone like uh, Huchfino, who is comfortable operating in there, doesn't have to, but is very comfortable, and uses his his body, his um, his handle, and his uh, his movements to create space therein and to deceive the drop big, I think that could be a major weapon come playoffs. So next up I have Kobe Bufkin. Um, uh, a subtle change consistent with the industry. Derek Whitehead, though, here at number 13. That's 11 spots ahead of the industry consensus. So why the big jump for me on Dariq? Well, ultimately, in my opinion, there's a lot of self-creation in there that was masked at Duke. Looking back at his high school tape, he did a ton off the dribble, did a ton with the ball in his hands, and come Duke, given his uh, injury early, slow start, and just the depth of talent that Duke had, ultimately kind of made it to where his creation skills and his athleticism were kind of hid in the aggregate. So in my opinion, there's a lot to plumb there and I get that some of these injury news are starting to scare people. But from what I've heard, it's really just the same surgery that was always intended. They're just giving updates on the original one. He's intended to be fully ready for training camp. And so there were similar kind of scares with A.G. Griffin last year. Virtually identical situation, and he hit immediately. I I buy that from Dariq, Derrick, and Dariq's even a, a bit better of a prospect, prospect than I think A.J. Griffin was last year. So I buy it from Dariq, and that's why I've got him a, a good amount ahead of where he's uh, traditionally mocked. Next up, Maxwell Lewis. Again, a pretty big delta compared to the industry, nine spots ahead of, of where the industry is kind of. Consensus mocked him on average. Um, I just think he's extremely, extremely fluid. Uh, deceptively quick first step. Another guy that I think has a good foundation at every skill. And if you look at his recruitment history and path through Pepperdine, it was weird. Uh, complicated by COVID, complicated by a senior year in which he was supposed to go to an academy, but then... Uh, something happened so he didn't and then that busted up his recruitment and he ended up having to settle for Pepperdine Anyways, just some weird stuff I think if that all wasn't odd he probably would have gone to a better situation and either come out last year as a one and done or stayed around and looked even better this year on a better team so I, I don't know I just I think that there's a lot to love about him and, and I would buy him at this spot. Next up, Keontae George, consistent with the industry, so we'll uh, leave him there. And now we get to the guy that I dropped quite a bit, uh, Gigi Jackson. Dropped in five spots, but this is still a good 12 spots ahead of where the industry is kind of mocking him. So what's going on here? Um, Rumors about poor interviewing, workouts. Some appear to be valid. Some appear to be kind of smoke screens, possibly from uh, other agents or... Uh, or teams themselves, kind of feels like people are hoping that, or hoping, are trying to manufacture a good, sizable drop from him because he is a risk. If he had the hype at like the nine eight range, I think people are um, unwilling to kind of part with that type of draft capital capital on on such a risk, but. Uh, and and so I th- I think that there's something going on to try to artificially you know drop him in the draft. Though certainly some of the the rumors have to be true. Uh, ultimately, I just buy the I just buy the package that he presents. I'm willing to take that big swing. I would absolutely go for him at 16 here if I'm the Jazz. But it's increasingly looking like he could be available at 28. And frankly, if the Jazz passed on him at 28, I would be livid. Uh, Leonard Miller I have here at 17. Uh, that's four spots ahead of the industry, uh, but eight spots ahead of where I had him previous. I watched some more of his high school tape where he dis- demonstrated a ton of initiation, a ton of passing. And given the effort and diversity of his game that he was able to show during, at the G League Ignite, I just I think that was really impressive. So I kind of buy the whole package and the... Um, the different approaches to the game that he showed i think that he's turning into a pretty well-rounded player and obviously the physical tools are are just immense next jet howard at 18 very uh, consistent with the industry jordan hawkins at 19 bilal koulibaly at 20 i have and this is seven spots behind the industry so what's going on here so, the physical displays are impressive. Um, we got his official measurements and, and they, they came out really good. Other than his weight, he was quite a bit thinner than was being suggested during most of the pre draft process and, and the year. But he's crazy fluid. He's very confident. Uh, you love that. But I think he's more raw than people kind of give it credit for. I think he's closer to like uh, Rayon Rupert. Uh, from the New Zealand Breakers, than he is like Max Lewis or Leonard Miller skill-wise right now. I'm not talking about potential as a prospect. I'm talking about measurable skills right now. Again, I think he's closer to repair than he is to Lewis or Miller. I think those two are more polished skill-wise than Bilal is right now. But Bilal's age, how this year kind of unfolded, and how well he did at the, the lower levels there in the French League and then upgraded to Metropolitan's ninety two, 2 inserted in the lineup, trusted, playing alongside Wembenyama. A lot of that context stuff for evaluating him as a prospect is still extremely encouraging. So that's why I have him in this tier with Lewis and with um, Leonard Miller. And not in the next tier, which includes Rion Repair. But still, I think that there's people aren't admitting to how raw he, he actually is. Like, people have had a comp to Kawhi Leonard, and I just don't get it, for example. Um, Lastly, I don't think that there's enough due hesitancy for over the fact that Bilal has been playing with what most anticipate. Victor Wimbanyama to being an eventual Hall of Famer. And Bilal is unlikely to be playing with a current or future Hall of Famer. <laughs> so in in some sense, I think that there should be a, a bit more hesitancy that that a lot of what he's shown may have been um, elevated by uh the rising tide that is Victor Wimbanyama. So anyways, Bilal Koulibaly at twenty. Uh, next, I have Grady Dick uh, nine spots behind industry average. Again, I think that there's a little, what, a little bit of what's going on is probably trying to kind of pigeonhole or force him to like the Orlando Magic, for example. And I don't know. Like, I think he can go on to a lot of teams, but um, I think the handle and the wiggle are missing. There's not a lot of self creation potential, in my opinion. I do think that uh, the the knocks on his defense are a bit overrated. Again, he's in this tier for me. So, if if you said that he was better than everybody in this in this uh, tier four for me in six years, I would I wouldn't be very surprised. But if I'm talking my personal preferences again, I I love passing and defense and self creation. And those are three traits that Grady Dick has in shorter supply than the others that I have ranked ahead of him. Next, I have Derek Lively at 22. And this is 10 spots below industry average. And ultimately, why I've kind of put him there is kind of like Dick. I think there's a lot of trying to force him to Dallas, trying to force him to New Orleans because of that perceived need, but, and I get it, I I like those fits, but the thing is, despite liking Derek Lively a ton, that center position isn't the, the ideal to invest in. Typically they do hit more often than guards and forwards, but they're generally less valuable or perceived as less valuable. So while I do like Lively a ton, Um, I kind of look at what happened with Walker Kessler. Incredible rookie season. Fantastic. Finished top three in rookie of the year voting. And many have done a redraft exercise, and he's going around 10. Why is that? Again, perceived value. The fact that there are a lot of centers who hit, so there's a lot out there, but they're perceived as less valuable, so there are a lot to choose from. So spending high draft capital on Derek Lively isn't a bad thing. It's just likely not my preference. Finally, um, we have City Sissoko at 23. That's a bit ahead of the industry, but when you look at the range, it's very inclusive. Bryce Sensabot, 24. Uh, Nick Smith Jr. at 25. Eight spots behind industry average. What what What's going on here? Um ultimately i don't really like how sped up he was at arkansas i get the context of the injuries i get the context that he decided to finish out the year which which is truly impressive i get the context of his evaluation as a prospect coming out of high school and his recruitment was spectacular but i just i think that his natural approach to the game which is floater in the mid range using his quickness and his uh, wiggle to kind of get to those spots via a ball-dominant approach, I just think that's a tough way to live in the NBA. And ultimately, I think a an intriguing um, facsimile or, or maybe comparison to him might be Bones Highland. And we saw that uh, <laughs> that Denver... Ended up moving off of him because his style of that ball dominance—I'm going to jack up a big, big three, or I'm going to try to get in the mid range and, and do kind of some of those floaters—ultimately wasn't the style that Denver wanted, given their their team construction. And I think that that's more atypical what the general team probably would think. And so that's why I've soured a little bit on. Uh, on Nick Smith Jr. So that wraps up uh, tier four. Now let's get into tier five. Uh, there's just some natural variation with uh, with these guys in tier five, though I like them a bit more than industry standard. Again, if you look at the range in which they're going per industry boards, uh, they're usually pretty inclusive. So I got Colby Jones at 26, I've got Chris Murray at 27, James Naji at 28. James Naji moved up a little bit. Uh, we also got his confirmed measurables: um, six-seven wing, or excuse me, seven-seven wingspan measured at six eleven, and. Still is going to be eighteen year old, eighteen years old at the draft. Two hundred fifty one pounds. He's just a beast, in my opinion. If I was someone who uh, really wanted uh, a center, I would look to probably trade back in the in the draft if I didn't have another pick later on. And then if Derek Lively falls, I go for him. If not, scoop up James Naji. I think that he could be excellent. One fit that I like a lot is what if he slid to the Los Angeles Clippers and they're able to parlay. um, And and, and if he kind of hits right away or perhaps in the short term, maybe a year or two, they decide to parlay um, the current guy they have, Vitas Zubots at the center position. They're able to parlay him into kind of help rounding out their team or reshaping around any stars they have. and then James Naji assumes the role on a rookie deal. That, that would be pretty interesting. Next I have Andre Jackson at 29. Uh, he also is a pretty there's a pretty big gap between where I have him and the industry. Uh, in fact, the most optimistic industry board has him going at 29. I like Andre Jackson a ton because this this package of passing, defense, uh, winning, pedigree, and impact, uh, along with the athleticism and confidence in the shot. Not saying that he's good a good shooter. Um, the form's poor, but he's confident. I think that package is one that championship teams want. And I would, I would absolutely uh, take a flyer on him uh, that I think could pay some real dividends. Uh, if I'm the Jazz, one of my favorite stacks, if uh, we get some, a player earlier in the draft— I would want to pair them with Andre Jackson, and I think that's Taylor Hendricks. If the Jazz ended up with Taylor Hendricks, he's got such a good shot, and he can moonlight at the five, especially in some, some backup minutes, that I would really like to stack him with Andre Jackson. Uh, I think you're able to mesh and pair a lot of those skills nicely, and as long as you have a good self-creator around them, I think that could be a pretty winning combo. Next, I have Brandon Pazimski at thirty. Moved him up a bit too, uh, and a lot of that is just kind of trusting, trusting a little bit of what I think others have seen in him. I don't, I don't pretend to be the best talent evaluator, and so when others are seeing seeing some things I'm not, and I trust their evaluation, uh, I am willing to say, hey, I, I can, I kind of have some blind spots. I'm not uh, perfect at this yet. So I'm going to kind of submit a little bit to some of the perspectives of others. Next, I have Jalen Clark at 31. Uh, Another big gap from the industry, and I think he's another guy. Just pretty, really solid foundation in almost everything you want. Marcus Sasser at 32 out of Houston. Turquavion Smith, 33 out of North Carolina State. Uh, Noah Clowney, Alabama, thirty-four. That's pretty. That's at the low end of where Clowney is going. And ultimately, I don't buy the shot as much as some others. I think he's more raw too on some of the defensive end. Um, though there's obviously potential there. He is. Uh, he is quite young uh, for this draft class too. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I didn't. I just didn't quite. I just didn't quite love it from Noah Clowney. But, again, if he ended up being, you know, one of the better prospects in the, in this draft, uh, if he ended up being better than Andre Jackson, Colby Jones, I, I wouldn't be shocked. He's just not my preference. Uh, and then finally, wrapping up Tier 5, we have Ben Shepard out of Belmont. Okay, moving into Tier 6, kicking it off with Ryan Rupert. 36 out of New Zealand Breakers. Amari Bailey at 37. Omari Moore, San Jose State at 38. Ricky Council, the fourth, at 39. Trace Jackson Davis, Indiana at 40. Mike Miles, Jr., TCU, 41. Jalen Wilson, Kansas, at 42. Jaime Jaquez, Jr., UCLA, 43. Olivier Maxence Prosper, Marquette at 44. Uh, That last one was intriguing to me. I watched a ton of his tape and some stuff made sense some other stuff when i looked at the stats didn't make sense and ultimately given his age and where i kind of coalesced my metrics ended up being a little poorer than i expected on him um, i still i still understand the the hype and so i moved him to where i did but there there were some indications that i should have had him lower so that was that was kind of an interesting result so those are my top 44 prospects that can that uh, comprise tiers 1 through 6. feel pretty confident about that group. And I also feel like the 30 picks for the first round will come from those 44. I'd be pretty shocked if there was a pick in the, in the, in the first round that didn't come from one of these 44. So now what I would like to do is dive into another, another uh, mock draft. Uh, if, if you've tuned into a previous episode of the podcast, I've built my own mock draft simulation and what it does is it feeds off of the industry mock boards that I track. So uh, I'm tracking uh, industry boards from The Athletic, The Ringer, Global Scouting, Box and One, Hoop Intellect, um, others like NBA Draft Big Board, and uh, No Ceilings, and Bleacher Report, uh, and ESPN, among others. I, I believe that there's 10 industry boards that I'm keeping track of pretty regularly, and what this simulation does is it will pull the variability from those industry boards and inject that randomness that inherent randomness into the draft so when every industry board has Victor Wembanyama ranked number 1 well he's going to go number 1 and that's something that has been a frustration for me with other simulation tools is that they 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 base themselves off of some variability that isn't factual. And so you end up seeing prospects potentially go lower or higher than is actually likely given the industry um, that is as being reflected. So that's, that's much of what I've done. And it's been a real, a real pleasure to kind of work with this because again, we're able to inject that variability and um, and then we can inject ourselves within the simulation as the computer starts making the picks, we can insert ourselves there and uh, on behalf of a certain team and make certain picks. And so what we did last time is talked through when, Uh, the Jazz were on the clock, what some strategy was where certain players we were targeting may have fallen off, and then what the approach could be to a pick at 9 so as to potentially make uh, picks at 16 and 28 more valuable as well for us. Um, So that's that's something I'd like to do uh, here as well, because I think it's a it's a really great exercise. So I'm going to read off the picks that the simulation kind of runs through, and then we're going to talk a bit about that strategy. All right. So the first few picks that went off the board were Victor Wimbanyama. Two, San Antonio. Scoot Henderson, two to Charlotte. Amend Thompson to Portland, at three. Brandon Miller, four to Houston. Cam Whitmore, five to Detroit. Asor Thompson, Orlando, six. Jairus Walker, Washington, seven. Anthony Black, Indiana, eight. So that's probably my biggest fear for how the, the first eight picks go. Ultimately, I want... Uh, like someone from this latter group, Taylor Hendricks, uh, Koulibaly, Dick, Lively. I'd love for any of those guys to start jumping into that top eight and start pushing some of the guys I have down. Here I am able to choose between Taylor Hendricks and Kaysen Wallace. And so part of my thought is, for my big board, I do have Case of Wallace ahead of Taylor Hendricks. I think the question is um, partially what can the Jazz do in free agency long term? Which are the targets that the Jazz are going to, to be looking at as far as star trades? I think either of those guys kind of make some sense. The Jazz already have Kelly Olinick on the team who could fill a Taylor Hendricks role. Um but if, if you drafted Hendricks, then, then you can move on from Kelly uh, in the short term or long term. I think I'm going to go with my board and select Kaysen here. Um, it's tough because I would prefer to go with a wing here. Um, I have done Taylor Hendricks in the past. I think I'd like to experiment and see what taking Kaysen here at 9 might look like. So that's what we're going to do. All right, so after I went with Kaysen Wallace at 9, we had Derek Lively II to Dallas, Grady Dick to Oklahoma City, Bilal Koulibaly to Orlando at 12, Nick Smith Jr. to Toronto at 13, Taylor Hendricks to New Orleans at 14, Jordan Hawkins to 15. Man, if Taylor Hendricks had fallen two more spots to the Jazz here at uh, 16. That would have been incredible. And this is a little bit to where the scenario of taking Kaysen or Anthony Black at nine is a little unfortunate because we have Jalen hood Shafino, Kobe Bufkin, uh, right there waiting for us. And those are two players that I'd prefer not to be stacking with Kaysen. Not that they couldn't, uh, operate well, because I do believe Kaysen can be off ball quite a bit, but, uh, But I do want a wing or a forward here in this draft. So looking at my board and kind of whom I have left, um, again, those two are high on my board, but I just went with Kaysen. Darik, Maxwell, Lewis, Keontae, George are three that are kind of up up for me. Um, George won't be there at 28, but the other two very well could be. I also have Leonard Miller, Gigi Jackson. Leonard Miller is probably gone. Um, Derek Whitehead will be available later on. Oh, this one's tough, so it's either Keontae George or Leonard Miller uh, for me right here. So Keontae George, let's see. He, I think he would pair really well with Caseen Wallace. I think that gives a guard lineup that is that has quite a bit of creation. Quite a bit of defense. I actually think they pair really nicely together. They each could get on or off ball pretty, uh, pretty, pretty naturally. Um, Leonard Miller at that position would be awesome. Um, I think he operates. I think he could be kind of like a like a Markkinen type, oscillate between the three and the four. Um, not a great shooter, but I love the passing, and he did a lot of initiation in high school. Ah, I think i got to go with Keontae here, though Leonard Miller is is very tempting. I'm going to go with Keontae George, um, though I do think long-term the Jazz are likely to get a star at the guard position. But, yeah, let's just go with Keontae George. Um, I like the Case and Keontae stack pretty, pretty well. Okay, and uh, what we ended up with... Is um, let's see who went next. So the guys who went next were uh, Bryce Senzaba to LA, Brandon Pazimski at 18, Kobe Bufkin at 19, Olivier Maxence Prosper at 20, Jalen Hood-Shafino 21 to Brooklyn, Dariq Whitehead 22 to Brooklyn. I like those two, Jalen Hood-Shafino and Derek Whitehead to Brooklyn. Uh, those two with Nick Claxton and. Cam Johnson, and McKill Bridges. I like that a lot. Jet Howard at 23 to Portland. Colby Jones to Sacramento at 24. like that one a lot too. City Sissoko to Memphis, 25. Ryan Rupaire to Indiana at 26. Leonard Miller almost fell to us to 28. He went to Charlotte at 27. Ooh, that would have been nice. So I'm left with a couple here. Got Maxwell Lewis um, available. Gigi Jackson is available. Andre Jackson Uh, is available Uh, per my big board I go with Maxwell Lewis but Gigi Jackson is incredibly tempting so I've got a good mix of stuff between Keontae and Kaysen I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with Gigi I think I I just buy the package with him so then to round out the first round, Andre Jackson goes to Indiana 29. I love that. Chris Murray to the Clippers at 30. That's a good one too. So ultimately we ended up with Cason Wallace at nine, Keontae George at 16, and Gigi Jackson at 28. I think that is a, lot, a good mix of high upside and uh, immediately plug and play. I think that... Uh, a lot of those guys could hit, some might not, but I, I think that is a good mix of floor and ceiling, diverse skills and positions as well. Um, all three could conceivably share the court together. I think you could stagger them throughout the lineup pretty well. I think you could immediately play Kaysen and, um, and Abaji together. I think that Keontae uh, and Abaji could play together. I think Gigi could play alongside uh, Markinen and Kessler. I think that'd be some some really nice lineups. So that's ultimately what we kind of went through, and some of the some of the logic and and maybe strategy that that could be employed here. Um, it's going to be a really really fun draft night, and I hope you're looking forward to it. And also we'll be streaming the, the draft live on YouTube and hopefully Twitter. I'll be having a guest or two with me and it'll be chill. So turn on the draft in the background, uh, turn down the sound and pull up on your computer or phone our live stream. And uh, we'll be going through our boards, reacting to the picks and specifically digesting what uh, Utah ends up doing and uh, specifically monitoring trades as well. So come join us. It will be six o'clock this coming Thursday uh, for the draft Mountain Standard Time. Uh, Again, turn the draft on in the background and tune into uh, the Jabber Jazz live uh, stream for the mock draft or for the, the real draft. Thank you so much for watching and listening. If you haven't yet, please consider giving us a subscription to YouTube or via this podcatcher. And be sure to tune in to our live stream this, this coming Thursday for the draft. If you like what we're doing, we'd also uh, really encourage you to share, like, comment, uh, leave a review anywhere you can. helps us distribute this to even more people than possible. And as is kind of customary here, we're going to leave you with some sounds of jazz. Oh,